Dragon Tamer. There was once an old castle, so old that its walls and towers had crumbled to ruins. And of all its old splendor, there were only two little rooms left. It was here that John the Blacksmith had set up his forge. He was too poor to live in a proper house, and no one asked for any rent as the rooms were in ruin. All the lords of the castle had been gone for many years. So it was here that John blew his bellows and hammered his iron and did all the work which came his way. The work was not much because most of the trade went to the mayor of the town, who was also a blacksmith and had a huge forge facing the town square and had twelve apprentices all hammering like a nest of woodpeckers. So of course the townspeople, whenever they wanted a horse shot or a shaft mended, went to the mayor. John the blacksmith struggled on as best he could with a few odd jobs from travelers and strangers who did not know what a superior forge the mare was. The two rooms were warm and weather tight, but not very large, so John kept his old iron, odds and ends, and coal in the great dungeon under the castle. It was a very fine dungeon indeed, with a handsome vaulted roof. But at one end was a broken flight of wide steps leading down no one knew where. The blacksmith had never dared to go beyond the seventh step. One evening the blacksmith was busy with his forge. He was making a shoe for the goat of a very rich lady who wished to see how the goat liked being shod, and also whether the shoe would come to five bits, seven bits, before she ordered the whole set. This was the only order John had that week. Then, over the noise of the bellows and clank of the iron, there came another sound. The blacksmith and his wife looked at each other. I heard nothing, said he. Neither did I, said she. But the noise grew louder, and the two were so anxious not to hear it that he hammered away as that the goat shoe harder than he had ever hammered in his life and she began to sing to their baby. But through the blowing and hammering and singing, the noise became louder, and the more they tried not to hear it, the more they had to. It was like the noise of some great creature, purring, 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 and the reason they did not want to believe they really heard it was that it came from the great dungeon down below. It can't be anything, said the blacksmith, wiping his face. There isn't anything there, of course. How could there be, said his wife. And they tried so hard to believe that there could be nothing there that they very nearly believed it. The warmth in the room was burning low. The blacksmith had to get coal. So, reluctantly, he took his shovel in one hand and his riveting hammer in the other and hung the old stable lantern on his little finger and went down the stairs to get coal. I am not taking the hammer because I think there is something there, said he, but it is handy for breaking the large lumps of coal. I quite understand, said his wife, who watched him nervously. So he went down the winding stairs to the dungeon and stood at the bottom of the steps, holding the ladder above his head just to see that the dungeon really was empty, as usual. 
Half of it was empty as usual, except for the old iron and odds and ends and the firewood and coals. But the other side was not empty. It was quite full. And what it was full of was a dragon. It must have come up those nasty broken steps from goodness knows where, said the blacksmith to himself, trembling all over as he tried to creep back up the wandering stairs. But the dragon was too quick for him. It put out a great claw and caught him by the leg. And as it moved, it rattled like a great bunch of keys. No, you don't, said the dragon in a hissing voice. Dear me, said poor John, trembling more than ever in the claw of the dragon. This is a nice end for a respectable blacksmith. The dragon seemed struck by this remark. Do you mind saying that again? The dragon said. So John said again, very distinctly, this is a nice end for a respectable blacksmith. Fancy now, the dragon said, you're the very man I wanted. So you said before, John managed to get out between his chattering teeth. Oh, I don't mean eating you, said the dragon, but I should like you to do a job for me. One of my wings has got some of the rivets out of it just above the joint. Could you put that to right? I might, sir, said John politely, for you must always be polite to a potential customer, even if he is a dragon. Just come around here and feel my plates, will you? asked the dragon. John timidly went around the dra and took the dragon's claw away, and sure enough, the dragon's wing was hanging loose, and several of the plates near the joints certainly needed riveting. The dragon seemed to be made almost entirely of iron armor, a sort of tawny red rust color it was, from damp, no doubt, and under it he seemed to be covered with something furry. You could certainly do with a rivet or two, sir, John said. In fact, you need a good amount. We'll get to work then, said the dragon. You mend my wing, and then I'll go out and eat up all the town, and if you do a really good job, I'll eat you last. But I don't want to be eaten last, sir, said John. Well, then I'll eat you first, said the dragon. Oh, I don't want that either, said John. Go on with you, silly man, said the dragon. You don't know your own mind. Now come, set to work. I don't like the job, sir, said John. And that's the truth. I know how easily accidents happen. It's all fair and smooth, and please rivet me and I'll eat you last. And then you get to work and you give a gentleman a bit of a nip or a dig, and then it's all fire and smoke. Upon my word as a dragon, I shall not, he promised. I know you wouldn't do it on purpose, sir, said John, but any gentleman will give a jump and a sniff if he's nipped, and one of your sniffs would be enough for me. Now, if you just let me fasten you up, it would be so undignified, objected the rat dragon. We always fasten up a horse, said John. Tuh, it's all wet very well, said the dragon. But how do I know you'd untie me again when you riveted me? Give me something in pledge. What do you value most? My hammer, said John. A blacksmith is nothing without a hammer. But you'd want that for riveting me. You must think of something else. At this moment, the baby in the room above began to cry. Ooh, what is that? said the dragon, every plate on his body rattling. 
"'It's only my baby,' said John. "'A baby?' asked the dragon. "'Is it something you value?' "'Well, yes, sir, I do,' said the blacksmith. "'Then bring it here,' said the dragon, "'and I'll take care of it until you're done riveting me.' "'All right, sir,' said John, "'but I ought to warn you. "'Babies are poison to dragons. "'It's all right to touch, "'but don't go putting it into your mouth. "'I wouldn't like to see any harm "'come to a nice-looking dragon like you.' "'The dragon purred at this compliment and said, "'All right, I'll be careful.' Now go and fetch the thing. So Jan, John ran up the steps as quickly as he could, for he knew that if the dragon got impatient before it was fastened, it could tear up the roof of the dungeon with one heave of its back and kill them all in the ruins. His wife was asleep in spite of the baby's cries, and John picked up the baby and took it down and put it between the dragon's front paws. You just purr to it, sir, he said, and it'll be good as gold. So the dragon purred, and his purring pleased the baby so much that it stopped crying. Then John rummaged around among the heap of old iron and found some heavy chains and a great collar that had been made in the days when men sang over their work and put their hearts into it, so that the things they made were strong enough to bear the weight of a thousand years, let alone a dragon. John fastened the dragon up with the collar and the chains, and when he had padlocked them all, he set to work to find out how many rivets would be needed. Six, eight, ten, twenty, forty, said he. I don't have enough rivets in the shop. If you'll excuse me, sir, I'll step around to another forge and get a few do dozen. I won't be a minute. And off he went, leaving the baby between the dragon's forepaws. John ran as hard as he could into the town and found the mayor and the townspeople. There's a dragon in my dungeon, he said. I've chained him up. Now come and help me get my baby away. But they all had things to do. So they John's cleverness and said they were quite content to leave the matter in his hands. So John went home again and told his wife some of the tale. You've given the baby to a dragon, she cried. Hush, said John, trying to calm her. I'm going down now. Please keep your wits about you and the baby will be all right. So down went the blacksmith, and there was the dragon, purring away with all his might to keep the baby quiet. Hurry up, can't you, he said. I can't keep up this noise all night. I'm very sorry, sir, said the blacksmith, but all the shops are shut. The job must wait until the morning. And don't forget you've promised to take care of that baby. You'll find it a little wearing, I'm afraid. Good night, sir. The dragon purred until he was quite out of breath. So now he stopped, and as soon as everything was quiet, the baby thought everyone must have settled for the night, and that it was time to begin screaming. Oh dear, said the dragon, this is awful. He patted the baby with his claw, but it screamed more than ever. I am so tired, said the dragon. I did so hope to have a good night's sleep, but the baby went on screaming. There'll be no peace for me after this, said the dragon. It's enough to ruin one's nerves. Hush then, baby. And he tried to quiet the baby as if it had been a young dragon. But the baby screamed more. I can't keep it quiet, said the dragon. And then he spotted a woman sitting on the steps. Here, I say, said he. Do you know anything about babies? I do, a little, said his mother. 
Then I wish you'd take this one and let me get some sleep, said the dragon, yawning. You can bring it back in the morning before the blacksmith comes. So the mother picked up the baby and took it upstairs and told her husband. And they went to bed happy, for they had calmed the dragon and saved the baby. The next day, John went down and explained carefully to the dragon exactly how things had to be. That the dragon was a danger to his family and the town. And with the dragon now secured, John set up an iron gate at the foot of the steps. The dragon mewed furiously for days, but when he found it was no good, he was quiet. The mayor scoffed at the fact that John had saved all the townspeople. But although the mayor did nothing, the townspeople acknowledged his feet, and after this, things got a bit better for the blacksmith. Tourists used to come from a long way off and pay two bits each to go down the steps and peep through the iron grating at the rusty dragon in the dungeon, and three bits extra for each party if the blacksmith lit the torches. And the blacksmith's wife used provided teas at nine bits a cup, and things grew brighter week by week. The baby, named John after his father and called Johnny for short, began to grow up and he was great friends with Tina, the daughter of the whitesmith who lived opposite them. She was a dear girl with yellow pigtails and blue eyes and would often hear the story of how Johnny, when he was a baby, had been minded by a real dragon. One day the mare, hunting in the woods, came screaming back to the town with the news that a lame, huge giant as big as a tin church was coming over the marches towards the town. We're lost, said the mayor. I'd give a thousand pounds to anyone who would keep that giant out of our town. No one seemed to know what to do, but Johnny and Tina were listening, and they looked at each other and ran off as fast as their boots would carry them. They ran through the forge and down the, drag the dungeon steps and knocked at the iron door. Who's there, said the dragon. It's only us, said the pair. Come in, dears, the dragon said. You won't hurt us or breathe fire on us, asked Tina. Not ever, said the dragon. So they went in and talked to him and told him what the weather was like outside and what there was in the papers. And at last, Johnny said, There's a lame giant in town and he wants to eat you. Does he, said the dragon, showing his teeth. If only I were out of this chain. So Johnny removed the dragon's chain and collar, and he broke down one end of the dungeon and went out, only pausing at the forge door to get the blacksmith to rivet his wing. He met the lame giant at the gate of the town, and the giant banged on the dragon with his club as if he were banging on an iron foundry, and the dragon in turn was all fire and smoke. It was a fearful sight, and people watched it from a distance. At last, the dragon won, and the giant crept away across the marshes, and the dragon, who was very tired, went home to sleep, announcing his intention of eating the town in the morning. Then Tina and Jana went to the mayor and said, The giant is settled. Please give us the thousand pounds reward. But the mayor said, No, no, my boy. It is not you who have settled the giant. It is the dragon. Do you have him chained up again? Oh, no, he isn't chained up, said Johnny. Shall I send him here to claim the reward? So then the mayor offered a thousand pounds to anyone who would get the dragon chained up again. 
I don't trust him, said Johnny. Look at how he treated my father when he chained up the dragon the first time. But the people who were listening at the door interrupted and said that if Johnny could fasten up the dragon again, they would turn out the mayor and let Johnny be mayor in his place. Done, said Johnny, and off he went hand in hand with Tina. And they called all their friends and asked, will you help us save the town? And all his friends said, yes, of course we will. Okay, so bring basins of bread and milk to the forge tomorrow at breakfast time. The next morning, Tina and Johnny rolled a big wash tub down the winding stairs filled with bread and milk. Tina knocked at the iron door. May we come in? Oh, yes, said the dragon. So they went in with the wash, washing tub filled with bread and milk. What's this? asked the dragon of the food. It's our breakfast, all of it. I don't see why you need breakfast, said the dragon. I'm going to eat any, everyone in the town as soon as I've rested a little. Oh, dear Mr. Dragon, said Tina, I wish you wouldn't eat us. How would you like to be eaten yourself? I would not, of course, the dragon confessed, but nobody will eat me. I don't know, said Johnny. There's a giant. I know. I fought with him and did away with him. Yes, but there's another one now. The one you fought was the younger one's brother. This one is twice as big. He's seven times as big, Tina proclaimed. Oh dear, said the duck dragon, I never expected this. And the mayor has told him where you are, Tina went on, and he's coming to eat you as soon as he has sharpened his knife. The mayor told him you are a wild dragon, but said he only ate wild dragons with bread and milk. And I suppose this sloppy stuff in the tub is the bread and milk, he asked, pointing to the washing basin. Of course, they said, bread and milk is only served with wild dragons. Tame ones are served with applesauce and onion stuffing. What a pity you're not a tame one. He'd never look at you then, they said sorrowfully. Goodbye, poor dragon. We shall never see you again. Well, look here, said the dragon. Couldn't you pretend I was a tame dragon? Tell the giant I'm just a poor little timid dragon that you kept for a pet. He'd never believe it, said Johnny. If you are our tame dragon, we should keep you tied up. We shouldn't like to risk losing such a dear family pet. Then the dragon begged them to fasten him up once again, and they did so. And then Johnny left and told the people what they had done, and Johnny was made the mayor, as promised. But if you are a kind person, as Johnny and Tina and all of the townspeople, excluding the mayor, with a feeling heart, you will perhaps feel sorry for the poor deceived dragon chained up again in the dull dungeon. So Johnny, feeling badly, arranged for people to go around every day to collect bread and milk for the dragon. The dragon said, I don't know how I could have ever liked eating anything but bread and milk. I am such a tame dragon now, aren't I? And when Johnny said yes, he was, the dragon said, Am I so tame? Won't you free me? Some people would have been afraid to trust him again, but not Johnny. So he loosened the chains. And as the dragon came out of the dungeon, following his friend into the bright gold and blue light, he blinked his eyes, as a cat does in the sunshine, and he shook himself and the last of his rusty plates dropped off, and his wings with them, and he was just like a very, very large cat. And from that day he grew furrier and furrier, 
and he was the beginning of all cats. Nothing of the dragon remained except the claws, which all cats still have. So now you see how important it is to feed your cat bread and milk. If you were to let it have nothing to eat but mice and birds, it might grow larger and fiercer and scalier and get wings and turn into the beginning of a dragon. <laughs>